All right, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, I got serious right there. I like you, man. You're my hero. All right, it is good to be in the house of the Lord, and y'all are in trouble. I got my voice back this week. I'm not having to speak through Clark. Not that that's a problem. He did a great job, but uh, I got both barrels today. We're ready. We're going to be in Exodus chapter uh, 14. And so we are in a series called Exodus on the Move. And in this, in this amazing book written by Moses, part of the, the Pentateuch, the first five books in the Old Testament, uh, everything's on the move. Uh, people are on the move. Leadership's on the move. God's on the move. The enemy's on the move. Everything's moving. And 3,500 years ago, it paints a picture of your life and my life today where things are moving. It's a moving target in every, in every challenge we have in this life. We have to learn how to uh, respond to it on the fly. There's no way to, uh, to plan for everything that happens in our life. And so the key is to know that no matter what happens in our life, God is always there already waiting for us to arrive, and he wants to walk with us through it and do great things along the journey. Now, this story that we're in today, I looked forward to it ever since we've been in Exodus because this is like the pinnacle. This is the story that everybody's familiar with. This is a story that Christianity, Judaism, and Islam religions kind of use as a, a, a champion story for their big God, a reason that they have big faith in their big God. And, and it is a story that most children are familiar with, if you've ever been at church at all. And it is a story of a superpower and an underdog. It is the story of, of, of good overcoming evil at the hand of God. It's a story that we love because the one who shouldn't win wins. And it's a story where God just shines. And I want you to know today that this is a beautiful story. It's a historical fact that this happened. And that's not the only time God does this. Everything God does is supernatural. I want you to understand that. Sometimes we look for big actions and activities and moves of God, and we say, oh, wow, God is great. God is great every day, every second of every day, and everything he does is supernatural because its origin is supernatural. I want you to know that you have a big God, bigger than you can possibly imagine, outside the realm of your vocabulary to describe. He's that kind of God. Now listen to me, and that God is madly in love with you. Tell the person next to you, God loves you. And I know some of y'all, that, that ain't easy. That points to a bigness of our God because he loves y'all, all of y'all. And I know some of y'all, okay? He loves me that way. Now, it is, it is this God doing a great thing in the life of his people that we're going to see today. It's a pinnacle move of God. <clears throat> it's an action that Hollywood has tried to recreate. It, it's an action that skeptics try to discredit or dispel. It's an action that we as Christians today in 2023, just love embracing because it'll encourage your faith. But I want you to know, we're not going to learn the historical facts of what happened 3,500 years ago as much as we want to learn how it can impact my life and your life every day that God gives us here to breathe the air that he provides. Now, just to get back to, to, the, to the message, the message is called uh, Time to Move. And we started it last week, so this is part two. So if you weren't here, and even if you, if you were here, we need to kind of recap to get us moving in the direction where we're going to be to finish this thing. In Exodus chapter 12, moving is the initiation of a fresh start, a new beginning, and it's a new life. When God calls us to move, he's moving us into a whole new life. 
not a fresh coat of paint, not a tune-up kit, a whole new life. You see, Scripture says when we, when we meet God, when we're born again, we have a spiritual birth in Jesus. All old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. We are a new creature living a new life. And some people didn't get the memo. Some people are like, <clears throat> okay, I'm saved, and I'm going to keep on living like I used to live. No, it doesn't work that way. For, for Jesus to come into our life and save us, Jesus comes into our life to be the Lord of us, okay? It's not, I, you know, and some people have this mentality, I want to go to heaven when I die, but I really don't want to go to church while I'm alive, you know? I, I, I want to I live in glory forever, but I want to live like hell till I get there. I didn't, that's not the equation. It doesn't work that way. He comes into our life to radically change us, to save us, and to be our master, our Lord. So we're going to see a people group who's trying to navigate through this and figure it out. Like, what does that really look like to follow a God who wants to save us but also wants to be our boss, okay? And that's what we're going to see, and it's really applicable in our life. So he begins with this new life. Now, I said last week, a new life does not begin with your qualifications. It begins with a big faith in a big God. We saw that there's two and a half million people approximately leaving 400 years of slavery, 430 years living in a rental, okay, in a borrowed land, and 400 of those 430 um, in slavery. And so, man, they're stoked. I mean, we said it's like, it's like uh, 25 Neyland stadiums letting out after winning all of the games. The only difference is they're carrying their furniture, Okay, they got like couches and bunk beds and, you know, TV sets. They're bringing it. It's on the journey. They got all the cattle, all their pets, all the animals. Okay, they've got the booty, the, the spoils of Egypt because they said, here's the gold, here's the silver, just get out. Okay, so they're on the move. All right, this, it's amazing. They're moving into this new life, but it's not about their qualifications. It's about a unqualified people having a big faith in a big God. We said it last week. They have no formal education. They have no government infrastructure. They have no economic plan. Uh, They have no government. They got nothing, okay, but a big God who's waiting for them to show up on the other side. So when God invites us to a new life, the next thing we got to have, Exodus chapter 13, is a brand new direction, a new direction. You see, if we keep following the old direction, it will take us to those old places, And God's not inviting us to the old place. God is inviting us out of the old place into a new place. That's what salvation, he saves you from that, but he saves you to the other. And that's what he's doing. He invites us to a new place. And to get to the new place, it requires new directions. We talked about last week that the long way is not always the wrong way. God's not taking them the short route to get to the promised land. They're not ready. They're not ready to defend freedom. They're not ready to really know uh, who God is and how to live for him and obey him and trust him. They got to go the long way, and the long way is not always the wrong way. Number three, chapter 14 of Exodus, to accomplish a major move or change when the enemy of our freedom haunts us, we need a new strategy. You see, God introduces us to a new way of accomplishing his goal in our life. Now, listen to me. His way of doing things in your life is different than your way of doing things in your life. And so we saw that last week, that sometimes the path of God feels like it's the wrong path. Like, man, I've, I've run off in the weeds here. Uh, I, I'm, I'm in the wrong place. I, I remember uh, several years ago, 
I've shared this story before. I had a, a guy I was training because I'd sold some equipment in Mississippi. And Tupelo, Mississippi to Birmingham was about four, four hours away. And we had to train on the third shift. And so on the third shift, we go in at midnight, and by about 3.30 in the morning, we, we've, we've set the equipment up, he's trained, and we're ready to go back to Birmingham, 3.30 in the morning. And, and he said, uh, do you want to drive first or do you want me to drive first? I said, I want you to drive first. So I got in the passenger seat. We were in a brand new F-250. I'm in the passenger seat. We hadn't gone a half mile, and I'm sound asleep. I mean, I'm slobbering in the seat. I'm, I'm out of it, right? And so he drove within 45 minutes of home, and he woke me up. He said, hey, man, you're going to have to drive. I can't even hold my head up. I said, oh, man, I'm in. I'm rested. I've been sleeping now three and a half hours. I got in the driver's seat, started down the road. Less than 10 minutes later, he woke me up. I'm driving through a cornfield. I had left the road, and I'm, I'm sound asleep, and, and, and we're doing this. And he goes, I thought you said you were rested. I also told him, oh, I, this is my favorite time of driving. I told him that. And he said, I thought you said it was your favorite time to drive. I said, apparently, it's my favorite time to sleep too. And so, so he stayed awake, we stayed awake. Now, here's the point. Sometimes when we walk on the new pathway God gives us, it feels like we're on the wrong path, like I have taken a wrong turn. The roots, the ruts, the rocks, that's all we see. But we also said last week that when we are looking down at the path that we're on, God is looking forward to the destiny that he has for our life. And we have to learn uh, to look at, to see what God sees, to raise our head up and look forward. And so that's where we left off last week. Israel is camping by the sea. It sounds pretty sweet, right? Those of you that have motor homes and campers, you know, and you know, which ain't really camping. If you're driving a hotel down the street, that ain't camping, okay? Now, you're traveling, but you ain't camping, okay? Camping, you in a sleeping bag wishing you were at the house. That's camping, okay? And so they're camping by the sea, man. The Red Sea is there, all right? They're free. I mean, it's good, right? Not so fast. You see, verse 9 says they were camping by the sea, but the enemy who was quick to let them loose is now the enemy who's, who's hot on their trails, and so the reason for that is, listen to me, when God offers you a new life and you begin to walk in it, let me tell you what the reality is. The enemy is going to be on your tail. He does not want you to experience a new life that God has waiting for you because he does not want you to enjoy the journey to your new destiny, okay? It's a reality for every single person, and it's a reality for this nation called Israel. And so we have a new life, a new direction, a new strategy. Now in Exodus chapter 14, sometimes when we launch into a big move with God, full of big faith and big expectations, it only lands us in a place where we have number four on the back of your life guide, a new fear. A new fear. A fear that we didn't see coming a fear that we haven't experienced before, a fear at a new level, a new dimension, maybe than anything we've ever had. Here's how it reads in Exodus 14, verse 10 through 12. It says, when Pharaoh got closer, the Israelites looked up and there were Egyptians marching after them and they were terrified, okay? They're, afraid. They're scared, all right? They were terrified. Now listen what it says. It says, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, Okay, they're, they're, they're getting it, right? And then it goes on and it says, and they said to Moses, it is because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the desert. 
What in the world have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we can serve the Egyptians because it's better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. I want you to notice how this works, and this is real for us today. Israel paints a picture of you and I when we face the fears in our life. We're moving forward on this journey with God. We're listening to his word. We're, we're, we're tuned into his Holy Spirit's direction. And we're, we, we've been given our marching orders and we're moving forward in it, right? And all of a sudden we realize this is not as easy as I thought. You know, I, I watched that TV preacher and he said if I would send some seed money in, you know, I was going to be rich and healthy and, and happy the rest of my life. Let me just tell you about that preacher. He's an idiot. That is, not, that is not scripture. It wasn't true for Jesus, and it's not true for you, okay? Now, it does mean we don't walk it alone, but it doesn't mean it's easy. And, and so now we, 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 we meet this, we realize our enemy is not going to leave us alone. He's just going to keep haunting us and trying to bring us, hold us back from where it is God wants us to go. And so this new experience in this land of the supernatural is not as easy as we thought it would be. And it comes with points in our life, like Israel, where it's a little bit scary. <laughs> no, it's not a little scary. It's terribly scary. Anybody ever had a, a report from a doctor, a report, heard something about a relationship you're in, found out something about a child, um, have a parent who's losing their mind, um, have a situation at work where you may be losing your job, had a situation where it wasn't a little scary. It was rock solid, real scary. Anybody have a real scary moment? Yeah. Okay. It's in those moments that you need to know God knew that you were going to land there before you ever got there. And no surprises for God. He knows what he's doing, and he allowed you mm, to end up in that place for a reason. And that reason is so you can know him more. Now, Pharaoh, now, God said he's hard-hearted, right? Not only hard-hearted, he lost his son, okay, to the death angel. Now he's broken-hearted. And now he's mad-hearted, okay? And this is who the enemy is trying to hold them back from the destiny that God has pre prepared for them. And because of that, he rolls right up on their, in their midst, right up into their uh, seaside campsite, all right? And he's breathing down their necks. He's wanting to kill them, and they are afraid. I did a little work on fears. You know, we all have some fears. Anybody scared of anything? Raise your hand. Okay, that's good honesty. <laughs> the bumper sticker says, I ain't scared. That's a lie. Everybody's scared of something, okay? So here's, this always makes the top 10 list, but here they are. People are terrified of, of all kinds of things in this world. Uh, I lost my place of what they're terrified. I'm terrified of losing my place. Uh, terrified of all kinds of things in, in, this, in this world. And so before I get that, I want to show you this. So what we do is we enter this fear. How do we respond to it, right? How do we respond to the fear? Okay, they start out good. They careered it. They say, okay, this is a bad spot, not familiar with it. I'm going to cry out to God, okay? So they cry out to God. Listen to me. That's the right answer. If you've got things in your life you don't understand, cry out to God. That's the place to go, okay? It's right all the time. If you've got questions, big questions, question God. Listen to me. I'm going to set you free. It's okay to question God. It's okay to say, God, I don't understand. What are you doing? I don't, it's okay to complain a little bit. I don't like this. 
I don't know what you're doing. What, will you help me know what you're doing? He knows, and he'll tell you. And there's no question you have that's bigger than he hadn't, hadn't already established an answer for because he's already heard your questions before. But you see, the problem is we don't stop there. We read this book 3,500 years ago, and it looks like us. Well, what do you mean? Well, something happens in our life. We cry out to God, but then we don't stop there. We don't stop there. We keep moving. We, we, we want to take it in our own hands. We're going to say, okay, I've got to blame this on somebody. They blame it on Moses. And what we do when something happens in our life, we cry out to God, and then we look for somebody we can blame, somebody tangible that we can put it on, right? And we want to blame them. And then not only that, we've already cried out to God, but then we demonstrate our lack of trust in God by trying to fix it ourselves. We, we begin to try to formulate an answer to resolve this situation all on our own. And then we start focusing on the negative. You hear what they said? They said, you've brought us out here in the, into, into the wilderness to die because apparently there weren't enough graves in Egypt. Okay? They begin to focus on the negative. They say, we were better off slaves than to be out here and die I want, to, I want you to know something today. Focusing on the negative does not build our faith in the positive. Focusing on the negative in your life will not build your faith in the positive things in your life. Now, watch this. Has it, does anybody in here have a tendency to focus on the negative? And you know it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And some of y'all are liars. You didn't raise your hand. Okay. Yeah, we focus on the negative. Focusing on the negative will not build our faith in the positive. And so what we do is we want to roll back to this different place and, and, and start thinking, that have this distorted view that things are okay. When we face fear, we get to the place where we say it would be better if we were never liberated. If we had never been set free, we would be better off. And we begin to uh, long to go back into bondage. Now, Moses is standing here. I, I kind of like this. So here's two and a half million people approximately. We talked about that last week. And they're all kind of crying out to God, and now they're t they've turned on their leader, and they're blaming Moses. And, and, and Moses, you know, there's no recorded scripture, but I, 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 I like to put myself in his shoes. And he's like, you know he's thinking, man, you all are sharper than your average bear. You figured me out. You see, Pharaoh made a deal with me. If I would bring you out here so he could kill you, then he's going to forgive me for murdering an Egyptian, and I'll be back in line to be the next Pharaoh. No, that's not the story. And Moses could have said, I hear you crying. Look at the, look at the chariots. Because who's in the front of this Egyptian army? His 600, Pharaoh's 600 choice chariots, their horsemen, which are their drivers, and their soldiers, the ones who are armed for battle. And Moses could have said, man, look at the bling on those chariots. They just came out of like the detail shop. I mean, they got armor all on the wheels and they got everything polished. The uh, soldiers have helmets on them and look at their, their spears. I mean, look at that. And, and then Moses is like, but have I showed you my stick? Have you seen the stick I got right here? Okay. He doesn't do any of that. He, he just listens. He, he rises above it. And we're going to see in just a second, he'll have an answer for them. Uh, he knows where they're at because he spent 40 years in the wilderness with borrowed sheep trying to figure out what life is really supposed to be like, walking with God. And so 
he knows that the glory days that they're thinking, they're, see, they're thinking, you know, it wasn't so bad, man, when we were back in, the, in Goshen. You know, we were slaves, but, you know, we got to eat and drink and, you know, we had our families and we were safe. We were protected by the Egyptians. I mean, they're thinking that was the glory days. You know, anybody lives in the glory days? You know, all they talk about is the past, you know, like, you know, like, so they were, you know, the stud in high school, you know, and, and, then, and then they grow up and they, and they get a, a dad bod and, you know, and they're not in the glory days anymore. But also they have to go back and talk about it. That's what Egypt's doing. Oh, I remember the glory days, man. Oh, yeah, we were in Goshen. We were slaves. It was a wonderful thing, right? That's, somehow they're confused, and that's what it looks like. When fear comes in, we forget reality. We stop, we, stop, we stop being smart, and listen to me. Fear makes us play stupid real easy. You know that's true. Does anybody in here have a phobia? Not just a little fear. Anybody got a phobia of something you know you ain't doing, Okay. Yeah, a lot of people have them. And so here's the list of most popular phobias. This list seldom changes, okay? Here they are. Snakes, heights, flying dogs. Not flying dogs, just flying and dogs. Uh, I'd be afraid of a flying dog. That'd be weird. Uh, Thunder and lightning, shots, social interaction, crowded spaces, and now a new one, germs and dirt, (laughs) okay? Uh, And these phobias uh, lead to a marked fear that results in symptoms such as dizziness, nausea, and breathlessness. And, and, and when we have a fear, a fear or a phobia like that, we, we kind of play stupid easy, right? Hey, let me give you an example. You can tell a 250-pound man who has arachnophobia, fear of spiders, that the spider that's smaller than his little fingernail that's in the crawl space will not kill him. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to stand at the door of the crawl space, and he ain't going in. You can tell somebody who has a fear of flying, listen, there are literally millions of people who fly successfully every single day around the world, okay? And then when you leave, they'll be standing in the airport waving by, okay? You, okay, you can't push through that, okay? And that's what happens. And when we have these fears and these phobias, you can tell somebody who has a, a fear of speaking in public, listen, for you to keep your job, you have to do a presentation to these 25 people. They're going to have diarrhea for a week. Okay? It's real. It's real. That's, that's what fear does to us. And I want you to know today that when you walk with God, it is certain you will enter seasons, moments, and times where there is a, fear, a very real fear factor that you will have to deal with. And the key to it is maintaining a posture where you just trust God beyond the fear, where you have faith in the positive thing that God wants to do in your life over the negative thing that seems to be haunting you in the moment. If you want to notice now that when we're moving forward, the fear caves in, sometimes what we need is just a fresh view or, number five on your life guide, a new perspective. We need a new perspective. Now, this perspective can come from Scripture. This perspective can come from the Holy Spirit and his leadership in our heart. This perspective can come from somebody that you trust, somebody in your life, another person. But sometimes, in the middle of that fear of the unknowns, we need a new perspective. Listen to verses 13 and 14. This is cool. Moses is listening to this mass of people, huge bunch of people, a whole nation, right? They're crying, they're fussing, they're blaming him, all right? And this is what he says. Moses said to the people, fear not, stand still, 
See the salvation of the Lord that he will provide for you today. For the Egyptians that you see today, you will never ever see again. The Lord will fight for you and you can be quiet or keep your peace. Okay, hold, hold the phone. What is this? This is not the message we want to hear. If you're scared out of your wits, the last thing you need somebody to tell you is, is, is this. Hey, hey, hey. Shh. Shh. Okay. Just, just shut up. Okay. Stop it. Now, open your eyes and look. Stand still and see what God wants to do. That's really solid uh, instruction. But if you're in the middle of a fear, you don't want to hear it. You don't, you don't want to hear that counsel. And I'm telling you, some of us need to hear that counsel. Some of us need to find that place in the middle of our fear, in the middle of the thing we're in following God, and, and we just, it's quiet for a minute. Stand still, open our eyes, and let God do what God will do on behalf of you in the middle of your fear. Now, keep in mind, these people are camping by the sea. When they look to the, to the, to the left, that'd be the left, and the right, they see wilderness. When they look forward in front of them, they see the Red Sea. And when they look over their shoulder, they see an army who wants to destroy them. All right? Meanwhile, Moses says, shh, be still, be quiet, open your eyes, and let's see what God is going to do. Now, now, sometimes we just need to hear that, even though we don't want to hear it. Sometimes it sounds like the worst possible commands or instruction that we could get. But I want you to understand something. This whole fear not thing, that's a biblical thing. You know that, right? Fear not appears hundreds, literally hundreds of times in the Scripture. In fact, there's more fear nots in the Bible or derivatives of that expression than there are days in the year. So that means every day of the year, if you read your Scripture, if you read your Bible, you're going to find somewhere in there God saying to you, hey, don't be afraid. I'm God. And the world is not. That there's nothing that can overtake me, nothing that can overcome me, and I love you more than you possibly know, so you don't have to be afraid. The only, the only fear you need is a reverential fear of me. That's, all, that's what God says. You don't have to fear anything else. You just fear not being found faithful to me. That'll be enough fear in your life. And so it doesn't matter where you read in Scripture. That's the instruction we get. Now, keep in mind, Moses is a picture, a type of Jesus, right? Jesus is the greater Moses. Moses delivered his people. He was the ambassador, representative of God, led them through the water, which we'll see next week. He provides salvation to them. That's what Jesus does in the New Testament. And Jesus weighs in on our fear and our anxiety and our worry in Matthew 6. Jesus said this to you, and Jesus said this to me. He says, verse 25, Matthew 6, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Hmm. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't there more to life than food and more to the body than clothing? Look at the birds in the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than they are? Then he goes on, he says, and which of you by worrying can even one hour add to his life? Why do you worry about clothing? Think about how the flowers of the field grow. They do not work or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his glory was clothed like one of these. And if this is how God clothes the wild grass, which is here today and tomorrow is tossed into the fire in the heat of the oven, won't he clothe you even more? You people of little faith. 
Verse 31, so then don't worry, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the unconverted pursue these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But above all, pursue his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So then do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Today has enough trouble for its own. You know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying the same thing that Moses said at that point 1,500 years earlier, and that is this. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Be quiet. Be still. And watch God be a good God. That's it. And we need to embrace that. Every single person in here who says you are a God follower and a Jesus chaser, a born-again Christian, a disciple of Jesus, you need to embrace that. Worrying about tomorrow accomplishes nothing except defeats your faith in the God of tomorrow. you got to have faith. Tomorrow, worry about itself. Anxiety, laying awake at night, it will not help the situation. And so it's in the middle of the mess that God says you need a fresh perspective. Now, God is ready to show a new dimension of his power and his provision in our life, but we have to get to a place where we are ready to experience it, listen, with a new faith. Number six, it will take a new faith to experience the new place that God wants to take us. Why do I say that? Because you can't have faith in something that you haven't seen except just a faith in the unknown, okay? So you got to have a new kind of faith because you don't know what God's going to do. Every day, God's mercies are new. And every day, your faith should be new. You see, if you're walking in a faith in something that God did for you yesterday, that's not the faith that will carry you into tomorrow. That, the faith you had before what God did last got you there. It will take a new faith to get you to the next part of the journey. Here's what he says in verse 15 and 16. He says, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Okay. He goes on, he says, tell the Israelites, listen, move on. Just move on. That's good instruction, man. Just keep it moving. Just move them on out. All right. And then he goes on and he says, and as far as you Your job is to lift up your staff and extend your hand toward the sea and divide it so the Israelites may go through the middle of the sea on dry ground. That sounds so good, right? So just just, um, encouraging, just, hey, just move on. And so they're like, okay, we got our instruction, move on. Moses, Moses says, hey, 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 shh. God's told me what to do. Everybody move on. They're standing at the seashore, okay? Wilderness, wilderness, Red Sea, enemy, and God says, move on. (laughs) Where are we going to go, all right? I'll tell you where you're going to go. You're going to move in close. Listen to me. When God has something in your life, he's going to show you something big. He wants you to move move on in, to move up close. He wants you to be in the catbird seat. He wants you to be in in the suite at the ball game. He wants you to be right up close. You see the whole thing. He says, I'm getting ready to do something. I want you to see it. I don't want you to be over there behind a rock somewhere. I want you to be right here, up close and personal, to see what I'm going to do. And listen to me. In this scripture, notice he doesn't say, Moses, raise your staff up, raise your hand up, and I'm going to part the sea, and then I'm going to tell them to move in. No, that's not the sequence of events for faith. The sequence of events for faith is 
you move in when you don't see where it is you're going. You move in when you don't have the answers to the question. You move in when it doesn't look like God is there waiting. You just move on in and watch what God will do. Now, he's, what they see is a sea of death. What God's looking at is the sea of deliverance. You see, what God sees and what you see are two entirely different things. He's God. And he knows what he's going to do next. And we know what he was going to do next because we've read the story. All right? But they didn't know that. They're looking at the sea of death. And God says, no, move in. God says, just keep it moving. Now, I want you to know today, you may be here today. And, and you've been following God. You've been trying to live for God, trying to follow his, his word and his will and his way for your life. But you've got this enemy who just keeps gnawing at your heels. And it may be your finances. It may be a boss or your workplace. It may be in your neighborhood. It may be a relationship or an old relationship. It may be a wayward child. It may be a host of things. It may be your health. There's a list of things that just kind of haunts you. That desires to keep holding you back from everything that God wants for your life. God says, I know it. And he says, move in and watch what I do. Now, he's waiting for you to move in before he'll do what he's going to do. When they move in, God says, Moses, you remember that stick I put in your hand? You've already got everything you need. I've already put it in your hands. I've given you everything. Now, I just want you to raise that stick up and raise your hand up and watch what I do. I want you to know that sometimes God has already put in your hand what it is he's going to use to deliver you out of the hands of the enemy and closer to your destiny and closer to the promised land. And sometimes he uses the silliest things, right? For Moses, it was a stick, a stick. You got chariots with gold trim kits. I got a stick, okay? You got warriors with swords and spears and horses. I got a stick. In Scripture, it says in Luke 9, 62, Jesus speaking, he says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You see, sometimes we can't see what God has put in our hand and what God wants to do because we can't get our eyes off of the past. Do you know the reason why the rearview mirror is this big and the windshield is this big? is because you're going to do a whole lot better driving forward if you're looking through the big, big windshield instead of that little rearview mirror, okay? You don't believe me? Try to drive home backwards looking through the rearview mirror. We'll call a tow truck, come get you out of the ditch, okay? We, we have got to learn to keep looking forward and not looking back. Let me tell you what happened to me. So I've done a lot of things in my life because I'm old, and you do a lot of things after you've been here for a while. One of those things, God stumbled me into commercial um, lawn care, okay? So this big account opened up, and I'd bought a bunch of new equipment. And 
I, I had a zero-turn mower, but at my house, I had a driveway to get me started, right? That kept, got me a line. So this new account had this great big field, and it was about 100 yards wide and about uh, 600 yards long. It's huge. It's grass. He had good grass. And I thought, and it looked terrible. The last guy was terrible. And I thought, man, I'm going to stripe it. Anybody in here try to stripe your yard? Yes. <laughs> and we striped the yard. Well, you know, you want the stripes to look good, right? If you're going to stripe it, you want to look good. And so I, I, I'm out in the middle of this field, and I'm gonna, I said, I, I'm going I'm to put it at a 45 degree. I'm going to stripe it. When he drives up, it's going to be all striped at a 45. It's going to look like, the, uh, like the, a professional baseball field, right? So I started on this thing, and here I went. And I'm looking back, see where I'm going. And it's looking good, man. I'm checking it out. I'm look, it looked good. And I get to the end, I look back, look like a wino had started cutting the grass. I mean, that, that line was, I was 18 feet out of line. I mean, it's, it, this is how I drove that thing, because I was looking back. Jesus said, if you're running a plow, don't be looking back, look forward. All right? And, and so I got to the end. I thought, how am I going to, how am I going to, this is awful. He's going to fire me the first week. So I called a friend of mine who was a grass cutter. I said, if you've never had, had a line in a big field, how do you do it? He goes, oh. He said, what were you doing looking back? I said, yeah, shut up. And so he said, he said what you do is you, you get to the edge of the field and you raise your head up and you find something on the horizon maybe a real tall tree or a telephone tower or whatever it is, you find something on the horizon, and, man, you just pull forward and you just keep your eye on that no matter what. Don't take your eyes on that. And I did, man. I got all the way to the end. I thought, this is stupid. This ain't going to work. I turned around. It was straight. Now I had a straight line to go by. And so I just started following that pattern. By the end of it, it was looking good, man. It looked good, all right? Now what's that got to do with anything? Here it is. When we are walking according to the will and way of God in our life, it is vitally important that just like on that mower, I raise my head up and I look at the horizon. I place my eyes on God who's out there and up there so I'm not worried about every little thing. I'm not looking back at the junk behind me. I'm looking forward to the glory of God on the horizon, what he has out there for me. Because what we do, if we don't look out there and say, I know God's got something big, if we don't, we're looking here trying to fix every little problem that comes into our path along our journey. So we raise our head up and we look forward. Now, God told him to move in. And then he told Moses, you got that stick. Let's, let's just use the stick. In Scripture, Isaiah 54, 7, it says, No weapon forged to be used against you will succeed. You will refute everyone who tries to accuse you. This is what the Lord will do for his servants. I will vindicate them, says the Lord. God uses some silly things in our lives to accomplish greatness. 1 Corinthians 1.27 says, God shows what the world thinks is foolish to shame the wise. And God shows what the world thinks weak to shame the strong. In the Old Testament, there's a story in 2 Kings about a widow. And her, her husband who had died left her with two sons and a lot of debt. And so she had to give her two sons to the one that they owed the money to. And they were supposed to work off the debt. But along comes Elisha, and Elisha says, we're going to fix this. He says, what do you have? She said, I have a small jar of oil. And he said, I want you to gather a bunch of pots, and I want you to pour that oil into those big pots. And she said, I just have a small vase of oil. 
He said, pour the oil in the pots. She began to pour this oil into the pots and filled up this, this mass of pots. They sold it. She paid off her debt. She got her sons back. What she had in her hand was just a small vase of oil. And God multiplied it, amplified it, and did great things through it. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, there's a little boy. A little boy who's watching sheep. Meanwhile, his brothers are at war. His dad comes to him and says, take some cheese to your brothers. They're fighting. When he gets up there, they're not fighting at all. They're hiding in the rocks. There's a big ugly giant. His name is Goliath. And, and David is offended that Goliath is cursing his God. And so what does he do? He attacks Goliath. This little boy attacks this giant. What do he have in his hand? A sling and a few rocks. He put the rock in the sling, put it in Goliath's forehead, went and took Goliath's sword, chopped his head off. Now he's a hero. God uses this silliness sometimes right in our own hands to accomplish the greatness of who he is and to reveal his glory. In Matthew chapter 14, there's a cool story about a little boy. A little boy left his home one morning, going to go do what a little boy does. He has, his mom fixes him a lunch. He's got a little happy meal, got some fish and bread. He's going to go do what a little boy does. But on this particular day, he meets this big crowd sitting on a hillside. Jesus has been preaching all day. I like Jesus because he preached long sermons. Now, he's preaching this long sermon. They're all tired. They're hungry. And they're starting to say, hey, we got to eat. And so Jesus said, hey, let's feed them. You feed them. We don't have anything. See what you got. They find this little boy. All he had was a Happy Meal. All he's got is a sacked lunch. And he put it in the hands of Jesus, and Jesus fed 15,000 people. Sometimes God takes the silliness of what he's already placed in our hand. For Moses, it was a stick. And he performs great things. And I want you to know today, you may not even realize what it is that God has placed in your hands, in your possession, in your life that he wants to use, and that he wants to amplify, that he wants to multiply, that he wants to deploy to accomplish his glory in your life. All right, let's finish up. A new faith learns how to trust God with what he has in his hands to experience, to enjoy, number seven, a new experience. I want you to know something. Sometimes we get in a rut and life just gets mundane and we miss out on a new experience because we get comfortable in our old experience. That's not God's will. God's will is for every day for us to be on a journey. I think sometimes we grow old and we lose our sense of adventure. I remember growing up in Norris and I had three brothers and had a lot of kids in the neighborhood and there was a lady who lived up the street and her name was Miss, Miss Cothran. Miss Cothran had a mountain in her backyard that we repelled from, right? We stole her garden hose, tied it around a tree and we repelled, that's, that's how that worked, okay? And, and while we were back there, we had these battles, man. We were just cowboys and Indians and army. I mean, we were fighting and playing our whole life. And my brother and I got in college, and one day we, we were home for Thanksgiving. And it had been about 10 or 12 years since we'd been to Cothran's. It was called Cothran's Hill, okay? We went back to Cothran's Hill, and it was no mountain at all. There was no cliff there. It was a little slope about like that about 10 feet long. But in the eyes of this little kids, it was a mountain, man. And there was adventure there. And there was life and death there. Survival was going on on this hill, okay? <clears throat> what happened? We grew up. I want you to know sometimes people grow up in their faith 
and they lose their sense of adventure with an amazing God. There's a God who whispered everything into existence, who keeps everything moving and sustained in this very moment, who right now is orchestrating air to enter your lungs and commanding your heart to beat. That God has a sense of adventure, and he just wants to invite us into it. Some of us need to go through a metamorphosis. We need to get rid of the caterpillar. We need to go before God, get in that cocoon, and let God change us, metamorph us into the butterfly that flies on the other side. It's a new experience waiting for us. Now, this is their experience. And yours could look like this, but a different flavor. It says in verse 17, God said, and as for me, I'm going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will come after them. In other words, they're going, to come, they're going to follow you right into the sea. He says that I may be honored. He said because of Pharaoh and his army and his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I have gained my honor because of Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. The angel of God who was going before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. And it, became, it came between the Egyptian camp and the Israelite camp. And it was a dark cloud and it lit up the night so that one camp did not come near the other the whole night. Moses stretched out his hand toward the sea. And the Lord drove the sea apart by a strong east wind all that night. And he made the sea into dry land, and the water was divided. So the Israelites went through the middle of the sea on dry ground, the water forming a wall for them on the right and a wall for them on the left. And the Egyptians chased them and followed them in the middle of the sea, all of the horses of Pharaoh, his chariots, his horsemen, and in the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian army through the pillar of fire and cloud. And he jammed, and he threw the Egyptian army into a panic, and he jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's flee from Israel, for the Lord fights for them against Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, Moses, extend your hand toward the sea so that the waters may flow back on the Egyptians on their chariots, and on their horsemen. So Moses extended his hand toward the sea, and the sea returned to its normal state. And when the sun began to rise, now the Egyptians were fleeing before it, but the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the middle of the sea. The water returned and covered the chariots, and the horsemen, and all of the army of Pharaoh that was coming after the Israelites into the sea. Not so much as one of them survived. But the Israelites walked on dry ground in the middle of the sea, and the water forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel on that day from the power of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the shore of the sea. When Israel saw the great power that the Lord had exercised over the Egyptians, they feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. That's the new experience. Never seen that before. They had never seen it. 
You may have read about it. I want you to know that's the kind of things that our God does for his children to deliver them from the enemy. Not on our timeline, on his timeline. Not for our honor, for his honor. Not for our glory, but glory do his name. God does great things. We just got to be faithful to lean in, to move in, to exercise our faith and let God do great things on our behalf and he will do it. Now listen to me. Here are two and a half million people who saw their death before them and now they're looking back and their enemies are floating around in the Red Sea. Now you remember last week I talked about the skeptic. I talked about the person who wants to discredit and dispel the truth of God's word. This is what they will tell you. Well, you see, the Red Sea is really not that big of a deal. And God parting it is really not that big of a deal. You see, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. You see, the word for Red Sea in the Hebrew, which I'm, I know you all are all familiar with the Hebrew, and the Hebrew is Yom Sef. Yom Sef means this. Are you ready? Not Red Sea, Reed Seed. You see, it's not this deep body of water. It's a marshy, muddy body of water that has reeds sticking out of it. And so for an east wind to come and blow it and dry it, it's plausible or feasible. And you say, well, okay, that doesn't sound like that miracle is so great after all. You can look at it however you want to. If you want to believe it's six inches of water, then that's fine. That means God destroyed an army of chariots with six inches of water. He's still a big and powerful God. As for me, we don't know where they parted the sea. What we do know is God breathed across the sea, gave them dry land. They walked across the sea, and God closed walls of water over them. So what does that mean for you? It means this. No matter where you are in your life, when you begin to move in to the destiny that God has for you, when you begin to follow God, not with lip service, but with your footsteps and with your heartbeat, I want you to know there's an enemy, a Pharaoh, who hates you, and he will be on your heels. What does that look like? And why, why does God allow that, right? I read this story. In the turn of the 19th century, they... On the East Coast, they had established a market for codfish. And it was a huge market and making a lot of money. Word traveled to the West Coast that codfish is a really good fish. So they said, okay, we need to maximize our market. We need to get fresh codfish on the West Coast. So they didn't know how to get them out there, so they tried to pack it in ice. Well, by the time it got to the West Coast, most of the ice had melted, and the fish was mushy and tasted bad. So they went back to the drawing board and they said, okay, this is what we can do. We'll take some rail cars and we'll waterproof them, fill them with seawater, put codfish in them, and send them to the West Coast. When the codfish got to the West Coast, they found out that once again, the fish was mushy and bland in taste. So they didn't know what to do. So somebody who knew fish said, let's try this. The codfish has a natural predator, a natural enemy, which is a catfish. Let's put catfish in the rail car with the codfish. And so they put the catfish in the rail car with the codfish, 
And that catfish chased those codfish around that aquarium all the way to the west coast. And when they got to the west coast, they found out the codfish was more flaky and more flavorful than they were in their natural habitat. Now, what is that? That catfish made those codfish keep moving. The catfish kept the codfish from becoming stagnant and stationary and apathetic and miserable. They were on the move. You say, what does that have to do with you? I want you to know today, some of you have an old catfish in your life, an old bottom-feeding, mud-sucking catfish who just keeps haunting you and trying to hold you back and trying to make your steps in God miserable, I want you to know God allows it to keep you on your toes, to keep you fresh, and to keep you moving forward. And I want you to know that God wants to take you, and he will deliver you, and he will let you get to the place where you do not see an out the place where you have to rely on him. And in that moment, God will say, move in, be quiet, be still, and watch my salvation. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Moses is a type of Jesus. We don't have Moses to take us to the edge of the water and to give us instructions. We have Jesus. Scripture says Jesus is our greater Moses. Jesus is the one who has done all of the work in building a pathway from any bondage in our life to the freedom that he wants to offer. And I want you to know today, first of all, Your life can never be free and full until it's free and full in Jesus' name. You can have religion. You can know things about God. You can be a good person. You can do good deeds. But until you have been liberated by Jesus and his finished work upon a cross, you will never be full and free. And you will never live according to the destiny that God has for you. You have to get to a place where you surrender your life to God through Jesus, his son. Say, how do I do that? You have to get to a place where you simply say, God, I'm tired of playing games. You know me and I know me. I know I'm a sinner and I know I can't fix my brokenness. So I bring all of my brokenness to you and I want to exchange it for all of the perfection of Jesus, your son. I want Jesus to come into my life. I want Jesus to save me. I want Jesus to be my master from this day forward. Thank you. Thank you for hearing my prayer. And thank you for choosing to love somebody like me. And for the rest of us, maybe we've already given ourselves to Jesus We've been forgiven. We've been adopted into his family. But maybe you've lost sight 
of the supernatural God who died on a cross and rose from the dead for you. And all of a sudden, that old Pharaoh, that old catfish, that, that, that thing that haunts you in your past has elevated itself to be the, the thing that's the foremost on your mind. This could be a day where you just let that go. Just surrender and let that go. Don't let that determine who you are and the steps that you take moving forward. This altar will be open and I'll be down here. If you'd like to come today and pray, if you'd like to come and me to pray with you, we'll be here. Father, I thank you for this amazing story in your word of a very real happening, a historical event. When you whispered across the sea and built a dry pathway for a nation to cross, it was your salvation provided to a people. And God, I thank you that today you are still the same God of salvation, that you forge a pathway from our old life enslaved by an old enemy into a new land of promise, a place where we walk with you. God, we give you praise. We give you glory. Thank you for loving us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.